You're really quiet this morning. You okay? All right, good, good, good. Well, if you want to find a passage in your Bibles a while, Luke chapter 19 will be what we look at this morning. Excuse me. And before we dive into our message, let's worship the Lord together. Father, we praise your name forever and ever, for you have all wisdom and power. You control the course of world events. You remove kings. You set up other kings. You give wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. You reveal deep and mysterious things. And you know what lies hidden in darkness, though you are surrounded by light. It is you that we worship this morning. It is you that we love It is you that we submit to. It is you that we need. And I pray for the Holy Spirit to speak to us this morning through your word, for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. About 100 years ago, a scientist by the name of Albert Einstein made this comment. He said, blind belief in authority is the greatest enemy of the truth. Blind belief in authority is the greatest threat, uh, I'm sorry, is the greatest enemy of the truth. And as I pondered that, I thought, I'm not sure that's the case today. Uh, especially back in the 1960s when I was coming of age, we saw a great hostility develop toward authority of all kinds, authority to the government, authority to the schools, um, uh, teenagers and early 20-somethings were burning down their college uh, campus administration buildings. Uh, there were protests in the street. Uh, rebellion against parental authority was increasingly common, and certainly rebellion against uh, the church. Now, when I ask the question of us this morning, we're talk about authority uh, and authority issues. Who or what serves as your ultimate authority in your life? Who or what serves as your ultimate authority? So if you do what your parents ask, they're certainly an authority in your life. If you uh, leave here today and you're driving down Route 30 and you actually obey the speed limit laws, do you even know what they are? Uh, then the government's your authority or the laws of the land are an authority for you. If you're in the military, your lieutenant is your authority. If you decide what to wear and how to dress based on what a particular group will think about you, then that group is your authority. If you believe what the latest blogger or the biggest Hollywood celebrity says, then they are your authority. And if you believe, think, and act based on what's in here, then God is your authority. And the bigger overarching question I have for you is not just who or what is your authority, but does that authority over you come from heaven or from earth? Does that authority come from God or does it come from man? Luke chapter 19, starting to read this morning at verse 47. And if you were here last Sunday, we looked at Uh, a very strange incident where Jesus gets almost violent 
He's at the temple, and these money changers are taking advantage of people who've come to have their uh, foreign currency exchanged for the temple currency. Uh, people are selling kosher animals out of the temple at a, at a, a substantial upcharge, taking advantage again of people who come in from out of town. And Jesus was furious. He drove them out, overturning tables and chairs as he did so. And what happens now follows right on the heels of that, verse 47. After that, Jesus taught daily in the temple, but the leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the other leaders of the people began began, uh, planning how to kill him. But they could think of nothing because all the people hung on every word he said. Chapter 20. One day when Jesus was teaching the people and preaching the good news in the temple, the leading priests and the teachers of religious law and the elders came up to him. They demanded, but what authority are you doing all these things? Who gave you the right? Let me ask you a question first, he replied. Did John's authority to baptize come from heaven or was it merely human? They talked it over among themselves and said, if we If we say it's from heaven, then he will ask why we didn't believe John. But if we say it's merely human, the people will stone us because they are convinced that John was a prophet. And so they finally replied that they didn't know. And Jesus responded, then I won't tell you by what authority I do these things. The title of my message is Word of Authority and World of Hostility. And I want to talk about this world of hostility first. These religious leaders have plotted to kill Jesus. I mean, can you imagine that? It would be as if your pastors and your elders in this church are plotting to murder somebody. And wouldn't that seem to be incongruent to you? That doesn't really fit. I don't know how many of you have been following the saga of Pastor James McDonald, a prominent pastor of a large church and. Uh, Chicago area, about 150 other affiliate churches around the country, Um, pastor on walk uh, in the word that was broadcast here on our local WDAC, Uh, a expose of him and his ministry came out in World Magazine late last year, I think it was November, and his response and the response of the church was to file suit against the writer of that article and some other critics as well, that suit was withdrawn in about a month and then in early January after McDonald had been caught on an open mic saying some horrible things that he'd like to do to some of his critics the elders fired him what came out about a week and a half ago was two uh, former friends of his went public uh, with the um, bombshell that he had asked them on the one case a former bodyguard friend He had asked him to kill somebody for him. And the other friend, he had asked him to see if he could find a hitman to kill one of his rivals. The Wilmette Police Department did an investigation and then turned that investigation over to a as yet unnamed agency, I assume the FBI. Don't know whether or not it's true. And yet so many things have come to light in the last several months that it's hard to escape the possibility of that. 
and you think about how this doesn't fit. How can, how can people who say they're submitted to God, they're under his authority, talk about doing things like killing somebody and yet these religious leaders were ready to do this to Jesus because they rejected his authority, didn't believe that he had authority of God. You kind of move this idea, very few people in the religious world hopefully are trying to hire hit, man, hit men, and yet there is an increasing, um, there is an increasing level of doubt among religious leaders in our day about Jesus' authority, God's authority. When I talk about a world of hostility and we're moving it into our day, we're not just talking about uh, opposition from the world. Uh, I'm more concerned about the opposition that I see within the church, within the body of Christ, about the authority of God through Christ. Increasing numbers of even leaders in our churches are fleeing the authority of God. The latest research by Pew Research Center tells us that in the great state of Pennsylvania, of the people who say they are Christians, 57% of them say there is no objective right or wrong. Right or wrong is only going to be determined once you get into a situation. And then when you get in this situation, you'll have a sense of whether this is right or this is wrong. There's no standard. So, for example, uh, to say that I'm always going to tell the truth, well, that's not necessarily the case, depending on what the situation is like. Or that thou shalt not commit adultery. Well, that depends on what I, the situation is when I get there. Think about that. Over half of the people in Pennsylvania who claim to be Christian say that right and wrong is going to be determined in the moment. And only about a third of Pennsylvania's Christians say that they believe this Bible, this book, is the word of God and our authority and to be taken at face value. One of the things I've become convinced of over the years is that people don't object to the gospel of Jesus Christ because they are reluctant to be forgiven of their sins. Uh, let me just ask you, how many of you have, at some point in your life, shared the gospel with somebody and they became almost violently hostile? How many of you have had that experience? Mm-hmm. And, and, and you think to yourself, how can this be? How can it be that somebody doesn't want to be forgiven of their sins? How can it be that somebody doesn't want to be assured of eternity with the Lord after this life? How could it be that, that somebody doesn't want to be a child of God, but that's not the real issue? And even if we haven't been real clear on the expectations, if someone says yes to Jesus, I think instinctively people recognize that if I come to say yes to God, there's going to be something asked of me. People don't object to being forgiven of their sins, but they really don't want to be told what to do. I mean, you think about our children. How many of them go, yes, mommy and daddy, whatever you want me to do. They might do that Thursday, but Friday's a whole different ballgame. We see it from little on up. There's an instinctive rebellion against authority. 
And some of you school teachers, I mean, I, bless your hearts, I, I can't think of a harder job that anybody has in this day and age in this country than being a school administrator or a school teacher. Because all of the clout, so to speak, has been taken out of your hands. And from where I sit, I've seen the clout move to not just the parents, but to the parents' advocacy for the child in every way, shape, or form. And so if you make a misstep, all of a sudden the attorneys are brought out. So Native American uh, author by the name of Sherman Alexie. Sherman writes novels and especially writes children's stories. But if you go to Amazon or Barnes & Noble to buy some books for your kids, I don't recommend him as an author. This is what he says about why he writes children's books. My only purpose is to teach children to rebel against authority figures. My only purpose is to teach children to rebel against authority figures. As I read that, I thought, Sherman, I don't really know that you need to do that. It comes with. It's instinctive. No need to be taught. See, I, I've become convinced after my years in ministry that the fundamental problem of me, the deepest problem of every human being on the planet is not our moral badness. When we talk about sin, this is, this is the fundamental problem, right? Sin. It's not our moral badness, though. It's not just that I'm inclined to steal. It's not just that I'm inclined to lust. It's not just that I'm inclined to bear false witness. But if you scratch beneath that deep enough, this is what you're going to find. I have a moral or a deep pride about my independence. I don't want to be ruled. I don't want to be told what to do and what not to do. And therefore, the gospel has to get past a person's refusal to be ruled before they're going to embrace it. Something has to take place. The, the work of grace, this is why we talk about the, the Holy Spirit, has to do a work in the heart of the rebel sinner before we're even interested in it. Why? We're just so dedicated to our own independence and our autonomy. Our deepest problem isn't moral badness, but our pride of independence. This is the world of hostility that Jesus faces, and this is the world of hostility that even increasingly we're going to face in our churches. On the other side of the coin is the guy that these religious leaders were trying to kill, whom they are imposing, whom they are demanding give, give an account for why he has the authority that he claims to have, and that's Jesus. Now, one of the things that was irritating to these religious leaders about Jesus was that he was winning the hearts and minds of so many of the people, not all, but certainly many. And, he did, and it, it occurred in part because he spoke with such authority. Mark, Mark chapter 1, verse 22, <clears throat> the people said this about Jesus. They were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority quite unlike the teachers of religious law. Jesus spoke with authority. Now, I'm going to go on a momentary rant, so stick with me. 
One of the concerns that I have today as I see what is taking place in the church with this kind of increasing departure from the authority of God is that some of the people that are leading the way in those departures are very, very well-spoken, compelling speakers and writers. And the way I relate that to this text is that the religious leaders of Jesus' day spoke authoritatively, but Jesus spoke with authority. There is a difference. And in our context, <laughs> we are increasingly finding people who, I mean, it, it's, they're, they're winsome stories. They tell wonderful jokes. They, they keep our attention. They are, they're just thrilling to listen to. I've had people over the years say, you've got to hear this preacher. And so you go online and you watch a YouTube video of them. And I go back and say, why were you, why was he so compelling? Oh, man, I could listen to him for hours. I'm like, but no, why, why were you listening to him? You, do you realize that he isn't saying anything that reflects biblical truth? And what was happening, they're captivated by the speaking. They're captivated by the way he talks and the kinds of things he says. But the person that was recommending him to me was not going back and saying, but is it from here? And what's of concern to me is in the last 10 years or so, where it's going is it's, it's like it's no longer even attempted in the part of some of these teachers, no longer even attempted to make a link back to biblical truth and say, I'm teaching this because this is what the Bible says. Now we're hearing, I don't care what the Bible says. I think this is right. Brothers and sisters, this is our authority only can be our authority. Everything else might sound authoritative, but if we don't get it here, oh, are we going to be led astray? Make no mistake about it. False teaching is not just outside the church today. It's in the church, and you and I are not ready for it unless we are in the Word ourselves. That's the only way we get ready for it. All right, I'm done with that. You okay? Everybody still here? Oh, good. Some of those who've been here a long time know that I kind of get on this Bible rant every now and then, and I, so we'll move on. So Jesus spoke with authority, and the kinds of things that he did showed his authority. Luke chapter three, uh, 4, verse 36, and Jesus had just cast out a demon, and amazed the people exclaimed, what authority and power this man's words possess. Even evil spirits obey him, and they flee at his command. Jesus didn't only speak with authority. What he did showed his authority. Let me take you to John chapter 10, verse 38 for a minute. Jesus says this about his authority and the authority he's been given. Verse 38, if I do God's work, my Father's work, believe in the evidence of the miraculous works I have done, even if you don't believe me, and then you will know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. In other words, the miracles that Jesus did were intended to point back to his Father and vindicate Jesus' authority. 
Look at my feeding of the 5,000. Look, look at my uh, healing of lepers. Look at my uh, uh, cleansing the demon, uh, demon-afflicted people. Look at all that and see if that jives with what my father does. And then you can decide on authority, my authority based on that. Now, in all fairness, people didn't do a good job connecting the dots between God the Father and his son Jesus when Jesus was here on earth. They, they, they thought, this, is, this guy is kind of along the lines of maybe a prophet or, or a well-spoken rabbi in our day. He's, he's one of many as opposed to one of a kind. This guy's one of many rather than one of a kind. And they, they were not... They were not tracking with God what God had said in the Old Testament. You remember the story of Jesus after he rose from the dead, and these two men are walking on the road to Emmaus, and Jesus suddenly appears with them. They don't recognize him, and they're looking down in the mouth, and Jesus says, what's wrong? And they explained to him, they thought that this guy, this latest rabbi, might be the Messiah and came to deliver Israel, but now he's dead, and they're very forlorn about that. And, and Jesus says, um, well, let me show you from your own scriptures about what was taught. And the Bible says that starting from Moses and going on through the prophets, in other words, using the Old Testament, he told them everything that had been written about him. You do realize, right, that the only Bible the early church had for the first 20 years was the Old Testament. The Old Testament revealed Jesus, it pointed to Jesus, it proclaimed Jesus. But when Jesus showed up on the scene, they didn't connect the dots. Not all connected the dots, especially the religious leaders. And just follow me for about three minutes. I want to take you on a journey from the beginning to the end of God's communication. So God creates man in his own image. He puts Adam and Eve in this great garden. And he speaks to Adam. You remember that? He speaks to them. Just like I'm speaking to you now. Speaking directly to a person. He spoke to Abraham. He spoke to Isaac. He spoke to Jacob. He spoke to numerous people. And then he begins to speak through the, to the prophets so that they can speak to the people. And so he would speak to, to someone like Moses, and then Moses would go to the people and tell them what God said. So he's broadening the audience. It used to be one-on-one. Now it's one-on-one as in, the, as in the prophets, but then the prophets are going to catch more people with the message. And then the prophets' messages got uh, put down into writing, and, and now we have the Old Testament, and so the, the audience again is wider and broader. So we have three steps taking place here. First, God is speaking. He's revealing himself via communication individually. Now he's secondly revealing himself via communication with the prophets to explain to the people. And then the prophets' words go down into writing. Three steps. And then Jesus comes on the scene. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 says that in the past, God spoke to us through the prophets. But in these days, he has spoken to us through his whom? His son. He's spoken to us now through his son. That's kind of step four. And by the way, he wasn't just speaking verbally to the people when he was here. He was speaking in his death, burial, and resurrection as well. It's one of the mistakes that I see in some churches that are moving in the progressive direction is they're looking at the four gospels and say, this is where the money is at. We're going to listen to what Jesus teaches, what Jesus says, and the rest of the New Testament, not so important. The rest of the Bible, not so important. 
And yet the rest of the work of the apostles in the rest of the New Testament was to unpack and explain and help us understand the implications, not just of Jesus' individual teaching, but of what he did on the cross for us. And so the rest of the, of, no, the, rest of the New Testament is kind of this ultimate final conclusion of God in his communication of himself. So we have verbally the prophets, the Old Testament, Jesus, his son, and then the apostles teaching about Jesus in the New Testament. Now I tell you that because unless we follow that train of thought, we will miss the whole point of why this is our authority. So it's absolutely right to speak about Jesus being our authority through this book. And so, for example, here at Keystone, if you look at our organizational chart, you will see that the, the, the congregation is kind of, uh, the, you have an authority over the, all the leaders in the church, and yet the elders have an authority over the congregation as well. But then above all of it, it says Jesus Christ. He's our, he's our head. He's our ultimate leader. And you say, well, he's not here. How is his leadership being manifest at Keystone Church? By this. We appeal to this. Because Jesus came to be this manifestation of God's revealed will. Jesus came to live, die, and be raised again to life for us. And now we have the explanation of the implications of that. So we go as leaders back to this. And if you see us deviating from that, you have a responsibility before God to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. And this is the reason that I warn you folks from time to time. Don't trust me. You trust this. Don't trust the elders. You trust this. Don't trust the ministry team leaders. You trust this. Now, don't misunderstand me. There has to be some kind of conclusion about the level of trust you have. But I'm just saying, don't bank on just taking it from us and assuming it's right. Check this. This is where our authority lies. And it's interesting that Jesus didn't answer the question when the leaders asked him, well, tell us, where, where, where do you get off? throwing these vendors out of the temple. Where do you get off casting out demons and so forth? Where'd your authority come from? And, you know, if, if they'd asked me that, I would have said, oh, well, I got my authority from God. You know, I'm, I'm sent here by God. He's, he's like, uh, I'll tell you what, I have a question for you. Where'd John's authority come from? And they were in a no-win situation there because depending what they said, they're either going to be rebuked by Jesus or they're going to get stoned by the people, neither of which seemed very preferable. And so they said, we, we don't know. And you know what that told Jesus? You don't really want to know where my authority's from because you don't really want to come under God's authority, period. You're not interested. And so I'm not going to tell you where my authority comes from. And these days, Christ's authority sits before us in this book and the power of the Holy Spirit to illuminate it and help us understand it. It is for those of us who have been saved by Christ's death and resurrection. Now, having said that, 
And Jesus sits before us and asks us this question. This comes from Luke 6.46. This is one of those verses that would be great to highlight in your Bible. Luke 6.46. Jesus looks around at the people and he says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I say? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but don't do what I say? Have you ever heard the voice of God ringing in your ears with that question? I have. And it makes us squirm, and that's good. That's the voice of the Holy Spirit, and that's a good thing. But I wonder how many of us would say, yep, this is my authority. If I have doubts about what I should do, this is where I go. If I have doubts about what I shouldn't do, this is where I go. If I have doubts about what I believe, this is where I go. I wonder how many of us are inclined to that. So, for example, probably many of us are very clear on what the Bible has to say about same-sex relationships. But I wonder if you got into a problem in your marriage, would you be willing to humble yourself before the Scriptures to do the kinds of things that the Bible says for you to do in a marriage? to seek forgiveness, to offer forgiveness, to be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. I've sat with people in my office who are in the throes of marital um, disaster, perhaps, and they would say, this is my authority. And yet they would sit in my office and tell me, I'm not going to do that because she has hurt me too badly or he has hurt me too badly. No way, Jose. Like, well, wait a minute. It's your authority. One of the surprising things for me in 28 years of pastoral ministry is how many times devoted Christians have said to me, I will not forgive. And then they would fill in the blank with a name. And I would say, well, you know God calls you to forgive, right? And the answer would go usually something like this. Yes, but. I have been wrong so badly. I have been hurt so deeply. And I'm like, wait a minute. But you have hurt and offended a holy God. You're a sinner. This other person's a sinner, and they simply, they simply offended another sinner. But you've offended a holy God, and it cost Jesus his life for you. But you can't forgive. You see what I'm saying? We pay at least lip service to the authority here. But is it our authority? We could go on and on. Habits, our addictions, do we put them under this authority, I'm not talking about um, not talking about people who are fighting the good fight. I'm talking about if we simply blindly go, oh, it's, 
I know it's not the best thing, but I'm fine with it. And the things that we believe, as I said, we're, we're seeing wholesale departure in the churches, evangelical churches that say they believe this book. When it comes to fundamental doctrinal issues that have been concrete in the Christian church for 2,000 years, there's only one way to God, and that's through Jesus. That's changing. It's becoming at least elastic. There is eternal judgment. We hate it, and we, we, we want to call people away from it, and yet increasingly, I don't think God would be like that. God's too loving for that. And, of course, the whole sexual expression has been on the table for a good 10 or 20 years in the church. Does what we believe come from here? Does what we decide to do and what we decide not to do come from here? Are, so we're asking the question, are we under the authority of Jesus Christ? I'm going to have Andrew come up here and just uh, play softly in the keys for a couple minutes. I'd like us to have a time of reflection before we go to communion. And I know we've gotten a little long here, but I have three questions for you. I want you to ponder. And then if God speaks to you about any of them, just, just spend a, a little bit of time in prayer. One, who's your authority? Question we asked at the beginning. Who's your authority? Two, is there an area of your life that needs to come under God's authority? And then three, are you flirting with something, an area in your life that you're thinking about saying, I don't want to be under God's authority in that area? And so there are a couple of possible things that you would pray then. God, I, I pray that you would um, replace me back under your authority. Or God, I pray that you would replace this area back under your authority or, or God I, I pray that you would steal me against wanting to kind of go my own way instead of your way so just for these just for a minute or two I want you to reflect on who's your authority is there an area in your life that needs to come under God's authority three are you flirting with departing from God's authority in an area of your life
thank you for the power of the Lord Jesus Christ to take away sin, to kind of reorder our priorities and reorder our lordships, even if we give it away at times. The blood cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Lord, as we go forward in a world that's offering us a thousand other authorities, may the cross remind us that no other authority ever laid down its life for us. No other authority ever gave its all for us. No other authority ever loved us with an everlasting love. No other authority, no other authority will remain at the end. Thank you for your grace, in Jesus' name. Amen. Reading this morning in Psalm 49, this interesting statement. Redemption does not come so easily, for no one can ever pay enough to live forever and never see the grave. Meaning we can't do that on our own. But Jesus did it on our behalf. And this morning as we take communion, we're reminded of the incredible commitment that Jesus made on our behalf that day he went to the cross. Wasn't easy for him. Begged his father for a plan B. And yet he said, not my will, but yours be done. And his will was that the son would demonstrate and manifest the magnitude of the father's love for all of us that he's created. And so if you have said yes to Jesus Christ, I don't care what church you're from, we'd love to have you celebrate communion with us this morning as we participate in the elements, bread and the cup, remember Jesus' sacrifice. And I, I, I love to just remind us of each communion, this, this is not something to be sad about. This is something to be thankful for and even joyous in. The work is finished. Hallelujah. Praise his name. We're going to have the service come forward and distribute uh, both the bread and the cup at the same time. Just hang on to them if you would until everyone's received them, and then we'll pray and uh, eat and drink together. <laughs>